Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Thursday, March the 3rd. Busy show today. Our Chatterbox segment featured Alan Carter and Sabrina Nanji. Wide-ranging. We talked about the media coverage of Ukraine. We talked, obviously, about rising gas prices and a lot of issues in the province with restrictions being lifted and how our collective entities are moving in one direction, or are we uh, doing that? Also, Dr. Isaac Bogush on the show, infectious diseases physician. We haven't chatted with him in a couple weeks, so let's get the lay of the land. We'll talk about masks, talk about restrictions, talk about those high-risk areas where we need to keep monitoring, keep an eye on. I'm going to ask him about that Alberta data that shows a plummeting number of hospitalizations and ICU beds being used with or because of COVID since the mask mandate was lifted in schools. We'll go there. Uh, It's all coming up next on Toronto Today, which starts now. Saturday, I'm going to sit outdoors and uh, go to TFC. TFC is their home opener. That's the uh, big soccer team here in the MLS, in MLS. You don't call it the MLS. You don't call it the MLB. Uh, But Major League Soccer's Toronto FC gets going with their home opener against the Red Bull New York. New York Red Bulls, either or, whatever. Two o'clock on uh, Saturday. Um, don't make me break down the roster on the air. Do not do that to me and the other listeners. But two o'clock, and it's one degree that day, but 15 the next day. Fantastic. Move the game. Just move the game on humanitarian reasons alone. Move that game. And we're so, we're kind of soft in Toronto a little bit. We're like, I wish we had an outdoor baseball stadium. Darn it. I would love to sit and have a hot dog by the lake and Watch the Jays, and you remember how great Exhibition Stadium was? I'm like, I've been there in April. It was not great. It was not great. To it, look, there's times when you go to Rogers Center and there's you know snowflakes, and you're taking the GO train and you're walking through bitter winds. I've been to at least two or three opening days where it's been snowing outside, and you get in, and you're like, ah, dome, sweet dome. Not won't be the case on uh, on Saturday uh, for the game. So I wish the temperatures were switched uh, just a touch. Um, I also am wishing that I wasn't driving uh, down there on Saturday, but I will. I'll split the gas with my neighbor. Gas prices, as you wake this morning, uh, were not done. We aren't done. It's going to go up again, potentially by another eight cents uh, by the weekend. And hearing a couple experts, I was driving around. I I went and had uh, lunch with a friend in Oakville yesterday. You know, uh, Oakville, Oakville. And... uh, um, the, the bottom line hearing, listening, I was flipping around a little bit. Uh, and uh, it's the idea is not only are you getting hit at the pumps, you're getting hit with supply chain everywhere else. Like, I know we think, well, that affects my bottom line. It's going to affect all our bottom lines. You don't have to drive. There might be environmentalists. I consider myself an environmentalist applauding this. You shouldn't be. You can't be. Because you're not going to make people switch to uh, electric cars uh, or battery-powered cars within the next two months based on this. I do think that's a mid-to-long-term decision that drivers are going to make. We just uh, got a, a more fuel-efficient car, but we didn't go electric. Not yet. And I I don't know. I don't know whether we're going to regret that or not. Uh, but it, the deal is, to, as you know, used cars are in short supply right now. People want used cars. So you may have your dealer calling you as our dealer called us and said, we want to buy your car. We want to buy your used kind of second car that doesn't have a ton of mileage on it. The last two years, we haven't needed to drive two cars on a regular basis, but somebody else will want this and we can sell this and we can get you into a new car for basically the same price you're paying for um, a four-year-old car. Sounds good to me, of course. So the deal gets pushed to you and we didn't get to you know go around and shop the electric um, mode anyway. But when we're talking gas prices that'll get probably by Friday afternoon to over a buck seventy, and that's at least that feels like a minimum. We don't know what the high water mark is for the rest of this month. There's a lot of people that see a dollar seventy five a liter. A lot of people are refer they've made reference to it, a dollar ninety a liter later on in this spring. It's uh it's it's not just about what you put in your car. Every business is gonna charge you more money because they, they got to pay uh, to put their trucks on the road and their cars on the road. I think this makes sense to you. It should, but uh, you're going to feel the pinch and everyone else is as well. Whether you're driving or not, whether you take public transit or not, whether you walk or bike to work or not, and we're a month away, hopefully with, with fingers crossed and better weather, 
uh, from being able to do that. Let me get to Kiev and uh, Ukraine, um, the U.N. General Assembly as well yesterday uh, dealing Russia. Now, this is seen as some kind of defeat, and yet it's predictable. Uh, Russia was diplomatically defeated, losing a vote of 141 to 5. There was an emergency debate, and uh, the idea was, should we have a resolution condemning the Russian invasion of Ukraine? I guess so. 141 to 5. Now, there were some abstentions I'm going to get to in a sec, but uh, the countries that voted with Russia, mark them down, and you won't be surprised by a few of them, North Korea, Syria, Belarus, their buddies, and Eritrea. Uh, They voted with Russia to oppose the resolution. What's interesting is the abstentions, 35 of them, 35 abstentions, 35 people didn't sort of step up to the table and say, we want to weigh in on this. Was it for fear of retribution? They uh, they they don't want uh, it on record. They don't want to make an enemy of Russia in the long term. Less Central American countries, El Salvador, abstained. Bolivia in South America, abstained. Um, Mongolia, right on the Russian border. I can almost understand that. I can almost understand that. But you've got a also a left-leaning government in Nicaragua. South Africa, abstained. Um, Vietnam abstains, Zimbabwe abstain. So we're going all over Africa and Asia to find the abstentions here. Uh, Christian Amanpour on CNN last night made this point, and it's a glimmer of hope. And I don't want to get you too excited about countries that can put influence on Russia, because I think we've all decided Putin's a madman. He's 70. He won't stop. This is going to happen no matter what. There's no he has absolutely broken the back of Russia financially, and it's only going to get worse. And we're only talking seven and a half days this has been happening right now. And Russia feels broken. We've talked about the the, the Toronto and the Canadian influence uh, economically on uh, hammering Russia down economically before. Christian Amanpour, uh, just brilliant, says there's an opportunity here. Here's the problem. We have to rely on China. Because China obviously has a huge leverage and a huge uh, intricate relationship with Putin himself. So does so does India. And also William Cohen, the former U.S. defense secretary, said Israel could play an important role in this as well. So in other words, get the countries who still might have some kind of in or influence with Putin to do something about it. And Kuleba is also, again, calling on the U.N. to strip Russia of its U.N. Security Council seat, saying that it it just inherited the old USSR seat and nobody voted for it. And that was in 91, 92. Yeah, it's rather incredible to have Russia on the Security Council of uh, of the, of the United Nations and knowing they're Russia as of right now. We just never changed it around. And even when it looked like Russia, when a lot of footsie was being played, yes, even with George W. Bush for eight years, certainly with Barack Obama for uh, another eight years, for 16 straight years with two presidents, uh, there was a lot of coddling of Russia. There wasn't a lot of tension. There'd be economic trade issues and whatnot. uh, But this is exactly why uh, Russia did not want Hillary Clinton to become president. And I got all day for critiquing Hillary Clinton and all day for critiquing uh, her campaign strategy um, in 2016. Uh, that was that was a non-losable election if you run a proper campaign and you say the right things and do the right things and go to the right places. But she did not do that. And, uh, and But Russia did not want Hillary Clinton to become president. The refugee situation, by the way, is out of control. In uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have have it land on our doorstep, and I think we welcome that to some extent. The conversation a lot of people downloaded, a lot of people listened to it with Bob Ray the other day. You know, he hinted at that that people come up to him all the time and they say Canada, it's so great, and and he knows it, and you know it, and I know it. We can argue, we can debate, we can divide. It, it can we can we can be respectful about it. We have not come. We got some healing to do. Forget about the four week trucker protest. A lot of that was over COVID regulations, and we're still sort of uh, pitching tents and digging in our heels about certain things to do with COVID-19, understandably so. But uh, the refugee situation has gone mad. Um, A million refugees, according to the United Nations, one million. I can't even get my head around that number in a nation of 44 million people have uh, applied for refugee status 
already in other countries, and many of them are border countries, but eventually, again, Canada with a heavy, heavy Ukrainian background, Russian background too, and especially here in Toronto. But I was amazed to learn about the Ukrainian population in Edmonton, in Winnipeg, massive communities, massive Ukrainian communities. Mayor Patrick Brown from Brampton was on the other day on Tuesday uh, with Steve Pakin in our Chatterbox segment, and uh, and he documented just how many, he was at a Ukrainian church on the weekend as a result of this. Here's a problem, too, and I don't think it's getting talked about enough, so I wanted to, is uh, the idea of if you're not looking Ukrainian, they're not letting you through borders. They're not letting you on trains. A CNN reporter tracked down an Afghanistan, a man from Afghanistan of Afghan heritage who was born in Afghanistan along with an extended family. They haven't been able to get through any border on any country bordering Ukraine. Here's some of that report from last night. So this is the fourth time fourth. you are trying to cross yes. the border. Yes. Yes, it is from Afghanistan, here with his uncle and his family. Two months that I didn't hear uh, my parents' voice. <gasps> yes. Oh. So it's so hard. Yeah. They have all been on the road for four days, back and forth from border crossings. His aunt's arms are aching from carrying her newborn. She had just given birth the day before Russia launched its first strikes. Uh, stay uh, at the night in the border. They did not think little Sumaya would survive. They show the video of this baby who's about, looks six days old, maybe eight days old uh, when the video was taken. And they're traveling with this baby. Um, and and I, I, they showed video of the mom. So this is his sister carrying this baby for hours on end. And it, yes, your arms get tired. I, <laughs> there's a reason they make these baby Bjorns. There's a reason you have a stroller at a certain point in time, utter fatigue. Like you can feel, I, I forget what that feeling's like because my kids are older now. But you can feel it for as, as little a period of time as 15, 20 minutes, even if you're in shape carrying, uh, you know, a, a, a nine pound baby, an 11 pound baby around and they shift and they move and whatnot. Um, it is it is cumbersome. I can't imagine walking an hour straight with a baby in my arms. It's one thing to push a stroller. It's one thing to go, you know, in a jogging stroller and uh, and get your get all your 10,000 steps in like that makes it relatable to a lot of moms and yeah, dads out there. I've never seen anything like this. And I was just trying to imagine last night watching this, my wife and I saying, can you imagine walking with a baby that long? But a million refugees, so a ton of women, a ton of young mothers factoring in as well. And they'll take any border crossing they can they can get. Belarus a little less friendly, obviously, but they're trying to get into Poland, Slovakia, to the south, Hungary, Romania. Like Ukraine has a lot of countries bordering it besides Russia and besides Belarus. But this is just a massive, uh, massive problem right now. And one other note I did watch last night because I gave it more time last night probably than I have all week in terms of the State of the Union two nights ago was almost a distraction from all the coverage of uh, of Ukraine. But uh, Putin's hometown, St. Petersburg, where they were supposed to have the Champions League final end of May, uh, there's video footage of two cops dragging away an elderly woman. Uh, they would reference her as a babushka over there, okay? Uh, she must be 80. She has to be. She's got to be 30, 35 years older than I am. Um, she's really frail, and she had a cardboard sign, and they had no problem dressed in riot gear, no problem grabbing her and pulling her off the streets and arresting her. It's unbelievable how courageous these people are. Putin's hometown, making a stand, going out at night, chanting about this war. Uh, there's not much that Putin's doing right now, that's uh, that's aging well, not in the least. And uh, those videos and those images are are hitting people really, really hard. That's somebody's grandmother that they're dragging away for having a cardboard sign and saying, I'm not sure we should go to war. That's it. That's her only offense is being out there and demonstrating about it. Eager to have our next guest on. It's been a few weeks since uh, we've chatted. He is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious disease specialist. Uh, great to make your acquaintance. Thanks for making the time for uh, Toronto today. How's everything in your universe? Yeah, not bad, Greg. Always great to chat with you. It's great to have you on. Now, I noticed you saw or watched at least some of um, 
President Biden's State of the Union address, and he mentioned something called test to treat. And I know you and I had many conversations actually in the fall, even in the summer, talking about schools and a way to make them work with tests to stay probably ages ago. Tell um, we are talking in Canada or Ontario about test to treat probably as we should. Would it be a difficult process? Would it be a, a, a simple process if we only had the wherewithal and committed to it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really smart approach. Listen, at the end of the day, we're in the era of novel COVID therapeutics. We're still learning a lot as we go along, and but there will be more of these available, and there will be new ones that are going to be increasingly available. The whole point is you got to get these into the right uh, hands at the right time. And, you know, I think it, it, you know, therapeutics have to be offered at a variety of places. you got to be able to get them at your family doc's office, at any urgent care center. But the test to treat, uh, what they were discussing was getting them into pharmacies. This mm. is really smart. We know pharmacies are all over the place, not just restricted to certain neighborhoods. We know the barriers to care in pharmacies are lower. You don't need a prescription. You often don't need to wait uh, a long time to get an appointment. And, uh, you know, pharmacies are not all, but many of them have the capacity to do a test right then and there and see if you're positive. And if you're positive, they give you the pills right then and there. The other important point is pharmacists, not just the pharmacies, but the pharmacists. Mm. They're experts. They know drugs. They know drug interactions. Some of the medications might have significant drug interactions. And they, who better to uh, parse this out than pharmacists? So I think, uh, you know, this is a very, very smart approach. And it can be one of several places where we should be rolling out evidence-based therapeutics for COVID. I'll tell you what, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but when I needed a, uh, a a rapid test to fly to the United States a few weekends ago, just, just sitting in a pharmacy waiting for the test, seeing, and it's not the general public's fault because not everyone's getting the information from the same sources. They, they they have to field every question imaginable about COVID and treatments and, and testing and this and that. And oh my gosh, the patients, like it's hard to call them unsung heroes when we've had so many people, doctors, nurses being uh, heroic but pharmacists have have gone above and beyond these last two years. Hundred percent. I mean, listen, I work in a hospital and in clinics, and you know, pharmacists are an integral part of the healthcare team. I don't know if the general public fully appreciates their role. Uh, they are absolutely magnificent and and a pillar of our pandemic response, not just in hospitals, but also in independent pharmacies out of hospitals. It's, it's just remarkable what they do. And, they, and it's, you know, people think it's drug dispensing. Give me a break. There's mm-hmm. so much patient counseling. They have been instrumental in the vaccine rollout. They're instrumental every year in the flu vaccine rollout. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable what they do. If you hear barking dogs, it's because there's barking dogs, pardon me. <laughs> that's right. I like bar- barking dogs are a positive. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. The, uh, and, and you, you may not know this because I'm a chocolate addict. They'll let you get your prescription and pay. You can pay for your chocolate bars at the back. They don't make you go up to the front and wait in the line with, oh, with all the other commoners. Bad. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like Win win. Get a shot. <laughs> Pay for your coffee, Chris. Follow the same. That's spot. oh, you you nailed the brand too. Now I saw Dr. Eric Topol mention this after uh, Joe Biden's speech, and he wrote this: since FDA gave Paxlovid EUA December twenty second, only half a million pill packs have been distributed throughout the United States. Uh, sadly, as he wrote, sadly, I don't see how that puts us in a position for a national test to treat. Dr. Zane Chagla has been in on this as well, and he says we're not we're we're, we're falling down with communications about um, oral antivirals we're falling down we, we, we just don't have a good enough strategy right now but obviously dr topol document five hundred thousand for a population of 350 million is not very many no it absolutely isn't i think the key here is you know obviously you need the supply but it's really setting up the infrastructure right mm-hmm. i mean right now the drug is uh paxlovid or molnupiravir is the other antiviral that they have in the united states we don't have access to that one just yet the point here is that those are the drugs that are available now. There will probably be other ones in the future. Can you set up a system? Can you set up a network and inform the general public of how to get easy access, low barrier treatments for COVID-19? And yeah, of course, there's going to be growing pains as uh, processes are streamlined, as we get more and more access to drugs, as we learn more about these drugs. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really focusing solely on Paxlovid. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be that drug plus, you know, drugs that are coming through the pipeline. It's just a very smart way of caring for patients 
out of hospital who need care in a very time-sensitive manner to keep them out of hospital. So, yes, it would work for Paxlovid, but it would also work for any other drug in the pipeline. Because at least with COVID and other uh, infections, the time to start therapy is critical. The sooner you start the medications, the more likely they are to work. And you need some skilled personnel to be able to identify, A, who's at risk, B, um, if there's any drug interactions, C, administer the medication right away. You know, you know like, listen, yeah. I'm, all, I'm a physician. I, I'm, I'm all for family physicians and, and urgent care and primary care. However, you know, just calling it how it is, it's just not as accessible as uh, a place like a pharmacy. So it's just a great way to lower barriers to enable earlier access to care that's so, so, so importantly needed. Dr. Isaac Bogus bringing it uh, for us this morning on Toronto Today. I, I have a practice. I think this is a very practical question about mass. And we know how very politicized and emotional people have been about it recently. I've been no different. But a practical question is determining um, high risk settings. And I see people denote that, of course, in long term care, in retirement homes, there will be high risk settings. But it, it's a weird one, right? Because let's say we said public transit is a high risk setting. Well, that might not be for my 16 year old to ride on the train uh, with his friends downtown, but it might be for my 77 year old mother. And this is this is the problem, isn't it? Sometimes with one size fits all health communication, if you deem, say, public transit high risk, uh, you want people to ride on it again. So they might quite rationally assume that they're high risk when they may not be. It's going to be a weird it's a weird thing to define. It is. It is. I think we have to remember public health is for the public and the public is everybody. Does that mean we all have to be wearing masks every minute, every day in every indoor setting for the rest of our lives? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, there's going to be some, you know, parsing out of what's high risk and what isn't and when can mandates be lifted and who should be wearing masks, you know, uh, when the mandates are lifted. Like we're, we're obviously in this transitionary period and we're having these discussions and obviously as as per always, things have to get polarized and politicized mm-hmm. and heated. But like, let's just approach this with common sense and reason, right? We know this is an indoor transmitted virus. We know this wave is clearly receding, but not over. We know who's at greater risk for severe outcomes. We know settings where you definitely don't want to have outbreaks. We also know masks work, but are not perfect whatsoever. And, you know, like, let's just approach this with compassion and <laughs> And, and common sense. And you know what? We're all not going to get exactly what we want. Hey, when does that ever happen? We'll move through this and, and we'll be okay. You know, we were going to be masking in some settings, maybe not in others. And at some point in the next few months, I imagine we'll be doing this voluntarily, not uh, not mandated. It's a great point. I got, I got a couple of listener questions in a bit, but I do want to ask you, um, uh, the U.S. and the CDC documented a big map where they deemed that masks were no longer necessary. It's about 70% of people in the United States live in places where they've deemed cases for, for what it's worth, and especially hospitalizations, now low enough. But is there any lesson to be learned from that? Do we see, is there guidance that Canada could have? We, we had a lot of regions, obviously, in Ontario where we're like, well, you're in step one, but you're not ready for step two yet. Is there anything we can do geographically uh, to make, make it make more sense to people who should mask up and who shouldn't? Uh, hard to know because we don't really have a good sense of a granular level of where Omicron is in the province or even in the country. It's safe to say that it's everywhere because mm-hmm. it is everywhere. I mean, this just pounded Canada and, and much of the world. And in fact, you know, even though case numbers are going down and hospitalizations are in decline, uh, there's, they're still not out of the woods yet in Northern Ontario. So, I mean, you know, places like Sudbury's actually saw a rise in hospitalizations. Yeah. And because their population is smaller, that's dwarfed by the provincial pop, uh, numbers going down. But, but you know, like, so there's some, it, what I'm trying to say is it would be extremely tricky to do. It would be extremely tricky to do. I think this is just something like, you know, obviously, if I, if I was in charge, which thankfully I'm not, you know, I just communicate that, hey, this is going to come to an end at some point. We're going to watch things closely. Let's just see how March goes. Let's just take this yeah. week by week by week. Here's some, you know, CNN constant updates. We'll give you some uh, frequent updates on what we're thinking and how we're, we're viewing this. This is going to be lifted. Just everyone sit on your hands for, you know, give us a few minutes and, and we'll, we'll walk through this. But 
I think like if the question is today, should we lift mass mandates? My personal bias is no, I don't think it, we should. I think it's too early. Let's reevaluate this, every, you know, week by week by week and eventually we'll get there. Yeah. Is there anything a- Andy writes? Because he, he was listening two days ago. I mentioned the Alberta data. So they go and, and listen, they've taken tremendous risks and they've been burned several times. They've made big mistakes in Alberta. But Alberta obviously lifted uh, masks in schools and they have seen hospitalizations and ICUs plummet from February 14th to February 27th was when I ran the numbers. Is there anything encouraging in that? And I asked that because when Alberta was going through a really rough patch in the summer, some people worried, well, Delta was headed for us that way. And I thought we're a lot more vaccinated than Alberta. Like, like there's lessons to be learned for sure in terms of uh, restrictions, but we're not Alberta because of the, you know, t- hundreds of thousands more vaccinated adults that we had. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, obviously, we got to look at all those areas uh, very closely. And, you know, this is where we should move beyond the, see, I told you so. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, listen, we, let's just let's just acknowledge that there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, people might feel certain, but those are the people that I, I don't, quite frankly, I don't trust. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think it's important to, to note that there is there is certain there there is there is uncertainty. There, there absolutely is. And listen, it, you might get it right. Hey, maybe everything continues to head in the right direction. Mazel tov. We're very happy. That's, that's great news. We want everyone to do well. Um, but the other thing to acknowledge, too, is, yes, cases might still be headed down. Yes, there might not be an amplification. But remember that there's still a community burden of COVID. There yeah. absolutely yeah. is. And it's, it's much lower now than it is in the past. But it's still not nothing. And I'm not saying go for zero. That's ridiculous. It's never going to be zero. We're always going to be living with this. What I'm saying is there are still vulnerable people among us that have the that that certainly can and do get sick, even if they are vaccinated. There's more than we think. Um, Not everyone has a, you know, an identification badge saying I'm compromised on them. So there's a lot of vulnerable people among us, you know, those are the people that that do poorly. I mean, listen, we've been doing this for two months, two years. Yeah. Uh, we know that there's some impact, not a major one, but it's 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 meaningful and it's measurable. And I think like it's it's Feb- it's March. Sorry, it's it's still winter. We're still in indoor settings a lot. Trends are headed in the right direction. It's great. Like I'm fully. You know, some people want to move faster than others. Some people want to wear masks on forever. I don't think that's that's appropriate either. But, you know, let's just take this week by week. And I mean, listen, like I like I said, I'm glad I'm not in charge because these are tough decisions to make. If we're up to me, I would communicate week by week what we're going to do. And at some point in the coming probably weeks, maybe month or so ahead, I'd say, okay, it's time, but it's not time just yet. Yeah. Well, all, I think all of us will always understand if we have to take a backward step, uh, if the data di- dictates it, but you can't just stay static based on a fear yeah. that the numbers will go back. Now, those are the big conversations we're having right now. Really quick. And I don't want to keep it much longer, but got uh, uh Hey doc, uh, love your segments. Got my third shot, December 21st. I want to test my, uh, the waning, I want to test waning immunity Monday when I go for blood work. What should I expect? Basically, guys saying I got boosted in December. Would I have waned by early March? Probably not, right? No, no, no. I, I don't think so. I mean, also, I'm pretty skeptical about those antibody tests. I think they have some value, but I think there's a bit of an overemphasis on them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to tell you, you know, to what extent are you protected. It's going to tell you if you have antibodies. But the quantification of that and translating your value to whatever degree of protection you have it's that's a bit of a looser association than I think what people make. I think the key point here is great. You got three doses of a vaccine. You still can get COVID. Your sure. risk is lower, but you still can get it, but it would be extremely unlikely for this person to have a bad outcome from COVID. Someone who'd mm. be sick enough to land themselves in hospital or in the ICU or succumb to this illness. And, and yeah, their chances of getting COVID is, is lower than someone who had two doses or, or zero doses of the vaccine. So kudos to this person to get that third shot. That's just it. Dr. Bogarsh, thanks so much for the time. Uh, always appreciate you playing it right up the middle for us on the show. Thanks again. Anytime. Have a good one. 
I'm going to confess something really quick, and I, I'm going to absolutely put uh, Alan Carter from the Alan Carter Radio Program from Focus Ontario and from the 5.30 and 6 o'clock news. So many hats. I'll put him on the spot. Maybe maybe we'll, uh, we'll be chivalrous and not ask Sabrina Nanji the same question. Somebody uh, just texted the show, Alan, and said, have you ever done a drive-off at a gas station? Because we might start seeing more of these. These, these monstrous motorists intentionally driving away from a convenient oh i just forgot i'm really sorry about that i didn't mean to fill my tank up with 82 i did do that once when i was a starving uh student in journalism school and i was on the 401 and it looked busy and it was like 42 dollars. and i think i think the statute of limitations has come and gone in 23 years have you ever done that I'm just calling the uh, interpolis <laughs> chiefs in Toronto right now. And what the heck? What you got? Sabrina doesn't drive away with I, you. I I wonder about that. I do. I, I and I think. But how is that a joke? Uh, I, I I think it's well documented. Females are superior than males in so many capacities, but they also get out of tickets and charges from law enforcement officers much much more often. They just what do. Year is it in your life? God, they just do. Sabrina, any drive-offs at gas stations since Alan was obfuscating and not answering the question? <laughs> you know, I'm a pedestrian, <laughs> so I don't drive. <laughs> Never happened to me, but, you know, I, I've had some brushes with the law. I think maybe we can get into that another time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, covering Queens Park's perfect then, uh, as, as Alan did and, and you do right now. That's that's uh, that's perfect. It's hard to believe there. We like I, it, pleading that it's an accident. It's a little like you know, oh, there's something uh, out of uh, Shoppers Drug Mart in my pocket. How that when you're embarrassed to buy certain items, Alan? When you're 19 or you and I should be having this conversation off the air. I'm just realizing that right now. I keep forgetting that this is live and we're broadcasting to an audience. Next time, now, well, we'll do a phone conversation about these issues. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Maybe uh, we should take it then on satellite radio. I think, of- yes, exactly. Exactly that. Um, so wh- we're starting light, but we got to go right into heavy. Sabrina, let me start with you. Ukraine, um, this compelling world moment is throwing all of us off our access a little bit. I think it's hard to believe that we were debating Canada and, and a state of emergency measures and the vote for it and then the taking away of it. And this was only a week and a half ago. This is really hard to believe. I, I can't recall anything quite like it outside of sort of that, that post 9-11 fog that we all went through for a few weeks. But it felt like after a few months, we were back and we were we were doing things again. What's been your observation of of the coverage of Ukraine and 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 whether any of us can really turn away from it right now. There's so much that has been compelling and, and tragic about it. No, I, I'm right there with you. Like I've had, you know, the news on like 24 seven almost. Um, I, I my eyes are glued to this, and and for good reason. I think you know, like this is something that hasn't happened on this scale, um, especially in Europe in, you know, uh, decades. And obviously, I think even the way that we're consuming our news, you know, with social media, um, a lot more coverage, it's, it's easy, it's easier than it has been to, you know, watch what's happening and, and watch what's unfolding. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, everyone is paying a lot more attention. Um, and we've kind of just had hits on hits, like the mm. pandemic was obviously something Something that uh, you know was was new to us. Everyone was kind of you know COVID news all the time in terms of the news cycle. Um, you know we've had uh, something unprecedented in Canada with the Emergency Measures Act just you know days ago. Really, if you think about it, and and now this. So yeah, I I think that the the way we're consuming this, it's it kind of pushed COVID back. Uh, in my mind as well too, you know, I think that this is kind of the big thing that everyone's talking about now. Um, I don't think it's going to let up anytime soon, but obviously it's for good reason. This is important stuff uh, that's happening. And, uh, you know, I I think that we're all, we're all glued to it Mm. and, uh, you know, there's going to be more to come. Alan, I know you and Tracy Tong have had it at the top of of your news lineup, and how could you not? And and I can't tell whether, you know, some of that is through the lens of Toronto. We're a very, we we know, we're a very cosmopolitan, melting pot city. Uh, We've got a a large Ukrainian population, but we also have a large Russian population as well. So, you know, that old journalism proverb, lead local, localize the lead. This has a lot of local impact, but... But it does in a lot of Canadian cities. I had no idea the Ukrainian populations in Winnipeg, Edmonton. It's uh, it, it's thick. There's a massive amount of, uh, of of Ukrainian expatriates or people with relatives the, suffering in this conflict right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I worked for a couple of years anchoring uh, the news in Edmonton. So you had a sense of <clears throat> just how significant the Ukrainian population was there. It's it's big. It's mm-hmm. significant. Uh, and like you say, in Toronto, too, and you have to reflect that on the news. And, you know, we try and we, we tell those stories about, you know, for example, about um, Ukrainian Canadians who have volunteered to go and fight mm-hmm. in Ukraine. We've told that story. We Last night we told the story about a couple whose uh, adoption of uh, a teenage uh, teenager from Ukrainian from Ukraine, pardon me, um, has, has now been put on hold. They were right at the point where they're just about to be able to adopt her, um, and now that's been put on hold, and the stress of that is put on that family. There are so many local stories. I mean, and, uh, you get right down to it, too. I mean, every time you go to the gas pump, that's a local story, too, just in terms of the impact on all of us because of uh, what's happening in the world. Yeah, it's all of that. And and I think about, you know, um, let's say watching, I was I was in at University at Western when uh, Desert Storm was on in, in 91 or, or the Kosovo War. And really, Alan, we just didn't have that same access. We weren't watching stuff on our phones. We, we didn't have the internet for the one war. We barely did for the other war. So it's tricky, right? We see videos sometimes and, and come across actualities and we know that there's there's a, a attempted spin from um, you know uh, Russian sources, but there's also the Ukrainian sources want it to be perceived a certain way. Whether it's tr- it's a, it's really tricky to get the right info here. Yeah, well, like yesterday I talked to um, a professor at uh, media studies it talked about this too, but it just the spin and the, there's disinformation and misinformation. For example, Snake Island. That's that's mm-hmm. something that we you know you know the you know go after yourself Russian warship. And then we were told by the Ukrainians that all of those soldiers had perished defending that piece of territory, but that's not true. And it turned out not to be the case. And of course, then on the Russian side, there's disinformation and and the, the, uh, the, the thing that they're trying to do is just flood the airwaves and the social media with so much just erroneous information that we will not believe anything. I mean, that's the goal yeah. there is that you just don't believe anything anymore because, well, what what possibly is true? We've never this is this this conflict is unlike anything we have ever seen. We have never seen a conflict like this where we have wired citizens, you know, just posting video almost at real time. And just a, it, it's a it's a you know, it's on TikTok, for goodness sake. It's. It's a different deal than we've ever seen before in the world. Yeah, and I, d- I don't know that Zelensky can become sort of the star. I mean, he is brave. He is heroic. He's all that. Um, but I don't know that he can become the star uh, that he's become worldwide. Ever, he's on the lips of everybody uh, compared to if this had happened two decades ago. Sabrina, let me go there with you. Is we, We've got such good news with Ontario, and you mentioned you know pushing COVID down the news cycle a little bit. So we're two days in. No more QR code. People can get back in and do things. We see spring coming. We're gonna. We've had a, a exceptionally long January and February. But I. But I wonder even if if the COVID fires were were raging like they were in December, whether we'd even have the time for it. I, I worry that we don't spread good news about COVID as fast as we do the bad news and and the scary news and the and the concerning news. Yeah, I think that's something psychological. And in terms of the news cycle, yeah, we've kind of gone from pandemic panic to now all this anxiety over Ukraine. But, you know, you're right. Like, I think even the government's good news announcements right now are are struggling for airtime these days. Mm -hmm. You guys mentioned, you know, the huge Ukrainian population in Canada, um, you know, the biggest Ukrainian population outside of Ukraine and Russia is here. So obviously, politically, this is playing out internationally, but domestically, too. And the, the thing in Ontario is that there's a lot of uh, everything's being banked on this data, but the the numbers are, are looking good and, and the data is all changing. So I think, you know, people have kind of decided to lean into this um, governments, you know, public health officials, they're all saying we need to live with COVID, um, you know, that means a lot of different things. But I, I think that there, some of the anxiety out there is palpable right now. There are folks that I'm talking to, um, you know, especially some of the older folks that might be more vulnerable that are feeling, you know, nervous about uh, the Vax Pass system being lifted. I don't know if we're going to see a huge like rush um, back to restaurants, back to you know sports arenas, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, if you've got to kind of wonder if the person next 
to you is, is vaccinated or not. So I think that's that's playing a role in this as well. But I think everyone's kind of struggling to get their message out there, especially with good news. I think it's some human nature to maybe jump on bad news and bad news a little bit more, but there, there is a lot to be positive about. And we can't, we can't forget that these days. The TV anchors blame the radio talk shows for that. And the radio talk shows blame the TV anchors. And Alan just looks in the mirror and says, I don't know where to go. I'm doubly to blame. I'm doubly innocent. or I'm doubly guilty. Who is this person staring back at me? How, how does that land for you, for your peer group? Alan, Sabrina uh, notes that there, there's some people, I think everybody's their own unique circumstance. Sheba and I were talking about earlier this morning and yeah, yeah, if I had a 85-year-old parent of my wife's or an 85-year-old parent of mine living with me, some of my choices would be different. I, I just think we all, but this is what we're all asking for. Let me manage my own level of risk for my household without going overboard and uh, and putting anyone else in jeopardy. And it's it's a it's a tricky dance. Yes, we've been doing that all the whole way along. It's been always been kind of choose your adventure in terms of, you know, okay, what do I do? How do you know, where, where do I go? Who do I see? I mean, just think of last Christmas, what that was like in terms of like, well, mm-hmm. if we rapid test, maybe we get together. Maybe we don't. You're making choices about, I haven't seen my grandmother for so long. And it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to take the chance because we got to see her. We might not see her again. You know, that kind of thing. You're, you're making those sort of choices. And that's difficult. And, and then yeah, I think that even within families itself, there's still very, there's a lot of tension with, you know, those that who might be, you know, oh, that's it. Forget about it. I'm tossing all these masks into the garbage bin as soon as I can. And, mm-hmm. you know, then you, maybe your spouse is like, forget about it. I'm not take. I'm wearing a mask to the grocery store, you know, till time immemorial. It, 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 it's not going to be so easy when, you know, these restrictions lift. I and mean, we've seen that with the Vax Passport and in various places like the Toronto Zoo that says, yeah, we, <laughs> you still need to have. A vax passport to be able to come in here and look at the you know look at the kangaroos. <laughs> you give a panda bear COVID, uh, e- even if yeah. he's fully vaccinated, Alan, yeah. and you don't want to you don't want to see you the reaction want. from the mama you bear don't. at that point in time. You don't. She's going to be protective of uh, of her kin. Um, Sabrina, we've seen this as well. Now, I can't even believe this is two summers ago. We had mayors have to sort of go on their own and enact a, a mask mandate. You'd remember at the, there were a couple of famous comments. Uh, Premier Ford made one in, in 21 and he referenced we don't want a police state. And he said that about about or sorry, he just said we don't want an equal society in 21 when it came to the vaccine passport. But in 2020, he said with a mask mandate, we won't install it provincially because we don't want a police state. Little did he know 10 months later, um, Sylvia Jones would say, hold my beer, um, stop a bunch of cars if, if you can and ask them where they're going. Either way, mayors stepped up to the table and said, we'll do it ourselves. And, and we had a real domino effect of mayors with masking. Now we're seeing local mayors and local chief medical officers of health, uh, officers of health saying, uh, no matter what the province does, we still want to make our own call for our community. That's going to be an interesting, as Alan said, it's all going to be interesting over the next three months to see who does what and who allows what. Yeah. And of course, right now it's all speculation. But of course, what my sources are saying um, is that we could have the masking mandates lifted uh, in just a couple of weeks. And I think, you know, we're expecting it to most restrictions to be gone by the end of the month, uh, you know, what few restrictions there are left. But I don't think we're going to see the same thing that we have been seeing from the chief medical officers of health. Uh, you know, Toronto, Peel region, and even Ottawa, they're saying that they're going to follow the province's lead um, and that masking requirements will be lifted. We had uh, Mayor John Tory saying, you know, he doesn't want to confuse people. But mm. we can't forget, you know, it's not like masks are going to be banned. If you're more comfortable wearing it, uh, you know, if you are maybe showing symptoms, that type of thing, uh, they'll still be recommended indoors in some places. Yeah. Uh, but I think we're going to, the, the medical officers of health are, are probably going to also, you know, uh, go along with the, with the public on this too. I mean, I think the public mm. has decided like to, to lean into this a little bit. Um, and, and I, I know everyone's sick and tired of the Adam littered on the streets. I don't know if that's going to, you know, we're going to continue seeing the masks around um, for for years to come, Um, uh, you know, uh, but I I think that uh, now the the general consensus with the public is that we don't want this anymore. And I think especially with the weather getting better, 
uh, people are going to be outdoors more, you know, masks are maybe not as concerning um, as they would be with indoors that, yeah, it seems like everyone's going to be maskless at the same time. We want to see Alan Carter riding bikes and water skiing uh, maskless this spring. We want video of it. We want it on his Instagram. We don't. Long, long boarding and wakeboarding, please. So, <laughs> and, and as long as no politician, Alan, goes full uh, Ron DeSantis like he did yesterday at the university, I think we'll be okay with the with the peer, but never go full DeSantis. I think that was a line from uh, Tropic Thunder, but I could be wrong. It could have been something else that we can't can't talk about. Uh, we'll be listening at noon today, Alan. Thanks very much. Have a great day. And Sabrina Nanji from QP Observer, thank you. You're great as always. Thanks for having me. Now, um, you saw the Ron DeSantis. I know we're going to play some audio from yesterday's show. I, I don't like the sound of my own voice. Uh, you'd be shocked at that, but but I'll, I'll give it a go this one I'm time. I'm very shocked at that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't like it. And uh, But Ron DeSantis, I, I got this text on the way home from somebody who showed me a video of Ron DeSantis with a group of students at the University of South Florida. He's coming up to give a little thing. He's got kids in the background and whatnot. Let's let the, uh, it's very quick clip, 13 seconds, but I'm sure we've got thoughts on it. Here's the governor of Florida coming on stage, but finding himself surrounded by college students in masks. Oh no, here's what happened. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this focus theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is a, this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Uh, bully. Thoughts? Bully. What a what a bully. And that, what a, he's behaving. He's a bully, and he's behaving like a jerk. Just leave the kids alone. And they were so uncomfortable. They took their masks off. They took their masks off, off You're right? the governor of Florida. Come on. Give it a... Like, can you not bully kids? Find someone your own age to bully. I, it sounded like to me he was giving them choice. Isn't that we all what we all have? No, he, he said you can take it off them. if you want. Oh, did you see the video though? He's pointing his <laughs> finger at them. He's standing over them. No, yeah. he's he's shaming them. He's I thought the taser them. was a little too much. I did not think a Florida State <laughs> trooper should have tased those kids. I'm against that. <laughs> they did not tase the kids for anyone who hasn't seen. No, the they video. haven't. They, they they didn't. Now, um, it's it's. I don't think it's a good look. I think it's very tone deaf. I. He's a he's obviously uh, he's got a, a lot of impatience about it. And but doesn't it document again? He, I, so I'm not defending DeSantis, that that behavior, that behavior in the tones indefensible Sheba. But it does document the idea that kids are fine. My kid doesn't complain. You've got 21 year olds up there and they did exactly what an authority figure told them to do, whether they believed that they should or not. So how's a five or six year old going to stand up and and say, I'm not sure I should have this thing on my face anymore, mom. Can we talk? Can we debate this? They're not going to. So the whole like my kid loves it. He complies. She doesn't <laughs> complain. Yes. I've I'm done with that ar- argument aspect of it. Well, obviously, I mean, my five year old's not going to complain. He's so used to it. He's just it's a part of it's like putting on his hat before going to school every day now. So, I mean, it, it's where we're at. And I think it starts in the home and. Honestly, I'm whether you want to put a mask on your child or not, that is up to you in your family, in your household. Do what you think is best. For me personally, I want the masks off of my kids. Um, my kids aren't even fully comfortable with taking their masks off, which is something that I found out recently and I'm surprised about. But I want the mask off. But if, if people want to keep the masks on, then by all means, we need to have those conversations with our families. Whether someone has a mask on or not, it's none of your business. You don't judge it. Everybody does what they think is best. So we had a clip from yesterday's show, late in the show, and a lot of people reacted to it uh, via text and, and some Twitter stuff as well. Sabina Vora Miller is is our usual guest on Wednesday, and you found some audio. I'll let you introduce it. What, what are we, we're talking just about masks or the immunocompromised or people going out places. It's only a couple minutes, but you found it really intriguing. So again, I will I will swallow hard and listen to the sound of my own <laughs> vocal stylings right here yes so it is uh sabina Miller speaking about masks and how they personally impact her and her household okay here we go i don't have a four-year-old but i would make the case you don't have a 16 year old and and i might ask what how long you expect my kid who's been in a mask since 14 does he go till he's 18 does he go till he's not like i i don't have an off-ramp for him and i want one yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you know, when we talk about masking with my child, I mean, we talk about how we have to make sure we're protecting people around us. And that's a concept that he's like understanding from a very young age, you know, um, like we, I live with my father who's immunocompromised. And so we're doing things to protect him. Like, even though, you know, I'm a healthy young person, yeah. I, 
you know, and I, I wish I could stop masking and I wish I could do certain things, but I live in a community where I have to make sure that I'm not just looking at my own interests, but I'm also looking at the interests of the rest of my community. We are a communitarian society. We should be looking at making sure that our entire society thrives, right? And, and part of that is having responsibilities to make sure that we're keeping people around us safe. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think like this, one of those things that I have these conversations with my child from a very young age where I try and explain that you wearing your mask to protect yourself but also to protect others um and you know and i think that there's something to be said about doing the right thing for your community absolutely um would you so is the alberta data encouraging or is it discouraging which do you find it yeah i mean i think with data i mean data can be basically used to say whatever you want to say you know Uh, well no it either goes up or down it goes up or down it's a number Right. But at the same time, like you have like the, the reason why cases are going down is probably because they have now at this point maxed out, you know, infections across the population. Um, at some point, you're running out of people to infect. Right. right? That's where that's right where we are in Ontario, too. Well, I mean, then you have to wait until um, immunity wanes because immunity does wane. Right. Um, and but, then at the same time, you also have people who are immunocompromised who never mount a response. Right. Who right. Okay, let's cut it there. I think we should. Cut okay. The audio I felt like that teacher where I'm like, oh, 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 I got one more point. I got one more thing I want to say because okay, we're running see, out of time. So here's the thing, though. We live in the GTA. There are an enormous amount of multi-generational families and homes in the GTA. In Brampton, for example, there's a huge South Asian population. They actually turn bedrooms into kitchens now because they can have an, a separate sort of, you know, in-law or family apartment upstairs where people can live upstairs and downstairs. So, Greg, you often talk about your father-in-law who's in a nursing right. home, right? Yeah. In London. So imagine, just imagine your father-in-law was living in your home with you for whatever reason. Yes. And he had yes. a nurse coming in every day. Would you feel the, the same way? Would you be as eager to take the masks off the kids? Um, I would, um, but I would. I, I, I think that there were other things I would end up handling differently. I don't. I think the burden of proof right now is to prove that the masks make a difference in a school setting. I don't see it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the data. So I think Sabine is coming from a point of emotion on that front. On that front, because her dad lives with her. That um, that uh, that I don't. I don't have that same emotion facing me immediately. You don't have. You don't have that lens. Neither do I. Right. I don't right. have any parents living with me. So we have that. We have. But, we're. Oh, we can go. We we're a lot more lax about the masks, about our kids in sports, about you know our kids going in here and there and sleepovers because we don't have that in our homes. But there are so many people in this city, in this province, who have these multi generational homes for whatever reason because they can't afford to buy another home or because the, the, it's cultural. And that's so why we, I want to keep having those conversations with her. People are like, I can't listen to her anymore. Why do you have it? I'm like, no, no, no. She gets a she gets an opinion. Gets a voice. She'll disagree with me on some things. I'll disagree with her on other things. We had a good conversation about the five to eleven vaccine. But somebody, I won't say somebody like with those perspectives should want restaurants and gyms closed right now and Leafs and Raptors games not to happen again until until when? And she said until everybody gets vaccinated. Well, that ain't going to happen, and you know that, and I know that. And the okay, vaccination well, doesn't prevent spread. So where are we going? It's important to keep having these conversations. Sure. And you can't have people on the show who think and talk the exact same way in perspective that you have. That's well, why we have her on to have these conversations. So people are saying, get her off the show. No, she's fantastic. Well, she brings a different perspective. And you guys, you don't want a clone of you on this show. Well, I've I've asked for that, but you say I can't. So I, <laughs> you know, I take my I take my talking to. Appreciate you listening to the podcast back with a live show tomorrow between 530 and 9 o'clock, which you can hear at 640toronto.com or on the Radio Player Canada app. Just give us a look for Toronto Today. And if you're listening to this not on Apple Podcasts and say, is that the easiest way to find us? Yeah, pretty much it is. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Toronto Today. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day or evening.